Well, welcome to this edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, this hour, we're going to take a look at discipleship. Uh, we'll just get right to it here. We're going to look at discipleship with regard to um, how we do discipleship in this country. I mean, we in the body of Christ have fel- faced a lot of challenges over the past uh, several years to our religious liberty, and we've spent a lot of time, I be- believe rightly so, uh, standing up for our freedoms in the culture. At the same time as we see more and more people growing weary of our efforts to evangelize people, we begin to realize that there's a big epidemic happening here in the culture, and that big epidemic is largely a lot of people are, quote-unquote, getting saved. A lot of people are coming to faith in Christ because of a message they heard or something that was going on in their world. And then it seems like the faith, quote-unquote, doesn't stick. It doesn't take. It doesn't do what we were hoping it would do. And we have to ask the question, why is that? Why are so many young people being exposed to good and godly and Christian things at Christian schools, Christian concerts, Christian youth groups, etc., and then it's not holding? It, were those actual, real um, you know, professions of faith? Or um, is it something that we're getting wrong? Well, a story came out of North Carolina that I want us to take a look at, do a little analysis, balance, and clarity on it. Because it, it, it harkens back to my days, just recently, working as an administrator at a Christian school. I was part of the ministry team at Lutheran Church of the Cross here in Southern California for nearly 30 years. Well, I was a member, then got into the ministry team and leadership. was ordained in 2015, and in 2018, our uh, lead senior, uh, associate pastor, uh, John Foss, his name, uh, took a call, answered a call to a church in Oregon. It was a great fit for the church because they desperately needed his leadership. But it was also a good fit for John and his wife, Sarah, because John's mom and dad lived in the area and they're getting older and they wanted to be closer to family. So um, our church has in its uh, you know arsenal, if you will, um, two campuses. Uh, one is has a preschool on it. That's the main campus. That's the one that looks like the old-fashioned church. It's built in 1967. And then a newer campus that was built in 2000, 1999-2000, that's in more of an industrial area, and that's where Aliso Viejo Christian School is housed, and also the Aliso Viejo campus of Lutheran Church of the Cross is there. Now, Lisa and I have since moved out of the area, so we're no longer part of the ministry team. But after Pastor John left, I had the privilege of being named the interim campus pastor at the Aliso campus. So I worked with, the, um, of course, the congregants there who worshiped on Sundays and midweek. But I also had the privilege of working with our outstanding leadership team, uh, Principal Kaylin Peterson and Meredith Arlt, the uh, vice principal of a school that had the capacity for nearly 400 students. And not coincidentally, we were at around 320 when I uh, my assignment ended. Now they're up around 400. So I, I'd like to think that there was a 20% increase in uh, attendance just because I left. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, the relationship between the parent and the student on campus is huge, of course, with the administration. And there are people who go to Christian schools for a number of different reasons. You know, um, you. I was growing up, grew up in, in Orange County, modern day high school, Catholic school was one of the premier schools for academics and athletics. I had a lot of friends who weren't even Catholic who went to modern day, right? They just, that, that, that's where, that, you aspired to go there if you wanted to do well in athletics. So I understand the value of Christian education. I understand immensely the value of Christian education as it pertains to students who are there and maybe mom and dad had a, uh, 
maybe they, they had a, a church experience when they were younger, but uh, then as they got older, they wandered away from it. During the pandemic, at least of you know, Christian School, uh, Covenant Christian School in Orange, two of my favorites, um, saw a huge increase in their student body growth because there were families whose kids were in public school who had been you know, basically reduced to the Zoom learning. They didn't like it. The, these Christian schools were following the state guidelines and had been able to stay open and largely you know, COVID-free. And so they saw a big increase in the number of parents who said, look, I'll pay the, f- the freight. I want my kids to get an education. And they really enjoyed it. Communication between the administration and the parents is huge, though. And when there's a breakdown in that communication, you have to understand something. First and foremost, it's kind of like the old broadcasting rule. We get people who hit us up all the time. Hey, I want a copy of that free thing. I want that free ticket you were giving away. I want the free money, the free car, whatever. We've never given away a car on the bottom line. (laughs) We would if a sponsor came up and said, I'll make one available, but we've never given one away. There's an old idiom in radio that says, if the listener heard it, you said it. And we have done a wonderful job, I think, over the years of walking back people who have heard something on the radio that they thought they heard or maybe they wanted to hear, but they really didn't. What I hope you will hear is the gospel proclaimed, first and foremost, and done so in a way that is winsome and that is appealing, that makes you want to become a better Christian or grow deeper in your Christian faith. Not giving away free money. I mean, I know we could make the phones ring every day if we did and make Teresa's life so much easier. Just, you know, who wants money? And people would call and she'd give them money. That would make just about anybody call, even if you weren't a Christian. <laughs> You'd call our station to win free money. But that's not what we're all about. We, we're honest with you. We tell the truth about the uh, scriptures. I know not everybody agrees with the way we present it. But if you don't like it, of course, you can find another outlet to listen to. You know, that, that's fine. But when it comes to this relationship with faith-based education, I, I want to share this with you because I think we can do better. We could do much better than what happened at Northwood Temple Academy, uh, which is a private Christian school in North Carolina. The school has students that go all the way up through uh, middle school and high school. And last week, school officials came under fire because they, uh, they had a, something called Spiritual Emphasis Week, where middle school and high school students will place an additional focus on building their relationship with the Lord. Well, it's interesting because there are a lot of kids who go to Christian school who will say, I grew up in the church, maybe I was dedicated, I was baptized as a young child, uh, maybe you recited the Lord's Prayer in the third grade and got a copy of the scriptures, you know, but whatever your church's tradition is regarding milestones, rites of passage for kids. But when it comes to the issue of baptism, that gets a little dicier for a couple reasons. First and foremost, it's a public declaration of your faith. And the assumption here is that not everybody at Northwood Temple Academy were Christians. Number two, there's the practical side. If you're in a Lutheran church or a non-denom that believes in just, you know, a sprinkle on the forehead, three signs of the cross, and you're good, is baptism. That's easier to deal with. But if you look at the Jesus example in Scripture, well, Jesus was immersed by John, came up out of the water. I mean, that's the only baptismal directive that we have in Scripture. Martin Luther said Jesus is present in the water, so you can splash, you can dip, you can dunk, you can do whatever you want to. But if you follow Scripture, literally, there's one example for baptism, and that is immersion. 
Well, can you imagine what happens when a bunch of high school and middle school students spontaneously declare their faith and ask if they could be baptized? Well, Northwood Temple Pentecostal Holiness Church provides weekly chapel services for the kids. They are the host of the academy itself. Their 70-page handbook mentions nothing about baptism, and yet kids started calling their parents after the service saying, hey, um, like one woman said, hey, mama, can you bring me some dry clothes? I got baptized today and my clothes are all wet. And mom said, what? Now, according to school officials, this is the first time that a spontaneous baptism has ever broken out at the school. And it is pretty cool. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've seen the peer, the positive peer influence impact kids. A few years ago at AVCS, we instituted Ash Wednesday. We'd never done it at the school. We always did it at the church. And we opened up the worship center, which was also the sanctuary, multi-purpose room for the kids, before school. And a couple of pastors were there. I was one of them. And for any child who wanted them, we let them know the day before. We put up a sign around campus saying, stop by the worship center before you go to class, and you can get your ashes for Ash Wednesday. Student body around 320, and that that day we had nearly 80 kids and teachers come forward. Now, part of the reason why was there were a couple of kids, usually girls, middle school age, who got ashes, and they started grabbing their friends and saying, you guys got to go get ashes. So they did. So we had, the next year we had 120. Everyone's cruising around school, you got your ashes? Yeah, I got my ashes. You know what that means? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Apart from Christ, that's us. But we're starting into Holy Week to really consider, or Holy, uh, excuse me, to uh, going into Lent to talk about what it means to be a Christian. And this is the first day that kicks it off. Now, the 70-page student handbook at Northwood Temple Pentecostal Holiness Church does not mention anything about baptism. They do write, through the chapel services, student praise and worship the Lord. Students and faculty minister to one another through prayer, music, and Bible messages. During chapel services, students are also recognized for various achievements. Parents are encouraged and welcome to attend chapel. But there was never any mention of the baptism, number one. A couple of other parents said, hey, look, um, my child has already been baptized at their own church, probably as an infant. And I kind of get the feeling that you're saying that that baptism, quote-unquote, didn't count. The head of the school, Renee McLam, told the Christian Post that the school did not plan on baptizing so many students and said that they were responding to what they saw as a movement of God. She said, although this is not our norm, we've never baptized without the permission of a parent, and even letting the parent choose who it is to baptize their child, many in the past have invited the church pastor or a grandparent to be a minister there to help out, This was a movement of God. So basically, that movement of the Holy Spirit put the church and the school in kind of a bad spot, which begs the question, what are the kids being taught about their faith? How many of these kids who had already been baptized but didn't know they'd been baptized and were feeling the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit and maybe a little peer pressure could have been given better counsel with regard to this? What kind of discipleship is being taught at the church and at the school? Or maybe what's being taught for these other families who are at other churches and other schools? Why is discipleship so contentious these days? Uh, Author Dennis Allen has some interesting thoughts on the discipleship dilemma, as he calls it. Wants to take a look at how the church 
rethinks and reforms discipleship. He's written this book called The Discipleship Dilemma, or The Disciple Dilemma, rather, that's up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm going to bring Dennis into this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Want to continue receiving income into retirement with little market risk? Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Services can help you secure a permanent income and benefits addressing your risk tolerance with professional advisory knowledge. You have a large 401k or IRA as your retirement nest egg. How about a four-dimensional plan that will pay you and your spouse income for life without stock market risk? How about we include inflation benefits so your income goes up annually? How about we include extra income benefits for long-term care? And if you need one or both, you both have it. That's right, permanent income inflation benefits, long-term care benefits with no market risk. We have put over $50 million of our clients' money in the 4D account in the last few years. These clients are sleeping way better at night. Learn more when you call Wilson Financial today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every nation, baptize those who believe and receive it. Okay, we get that. But what happens once somebody does come to faith? Do we have a problem helping people with discipleship and whether or not we can actually make disciples? Well, joining me today here on The Bottom Line Show is Dennis Allen. Dennis is an author who's written a fascinating new book on this issue. It's called basically The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dennis Allen, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, I am to be with you. Dennis is a, uh, has served as a CEO in electronic software and distribution, oil and gas and conglomerates, public and private. Uh, he has leadership in all different sizes of churches, has served in church leadership in a variety of different denominations as well. And so he's seen this issue inside and out. So in addition to having a Bachelor of Science in Industrial Management from the University of Alabama and an MBA, he's also an alumnus of the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics in Oxford. And he and his wife, uh, Karen, live in Reston, Virginia, home of uh, formerly home of Prison Fellowship Ministries, where I spent many years working. Let's talk about this, Dennis, because you bring a, a very, very interesting dilemma to the surface that it seems like nobody wants to talk about. Why is it so difficult for the church to do discipleship? I think this is the ultimate who done it, Roger. This is kind of like uh, the, the the old board game clue: who did it, where they do it, what they do it with. <laughs> yeah, and yep. I would. I would just say this is something that showed up 1,800 years ago, and uh, if you were using the old game of Clue, I'd say it was the leaders in the moment using their mm -hmm. impulses, and it made us all think that what's good and normal today is great, but it's not biblical, and it's not mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Where do we start fixing this then? I mean, and you've looked at this from the, here's how you work with people. Here's how you work with people in the church. I mean, this is more than just a question of how do you get your church to function better type of thing. I mean, this is this has got deep uh, eternal ramifications as well. We were joking about feedback loops a few minutes ago before the show started, and this is one of the ultimate feedback loops in mm -hmm. discipleship, which is that because of consequences and circumstances, the church started having problems, and they fixed it with some patchwork logic. The business community started watching what the church was doing. They followed them. That didn't go well. Then the church started watching the business communities. You can't oh, no. fix it until you understand it. Right, right. So let's let's talk about what it means to understand this problem, because there are a lot of pastors who are scratching their heads right now. I think of one mega church in the Chicago area years ago that was seen as the prototype. Everybody wanted to be like this church. And then about 15, 20 years into the church experiment, they began to realize that they were having a very difficult time growing. They were maintaining their numbers. 
but they were very seeker sensitive. And at one point they began to realize, hey, look, people kind of outgrow us after about three or four years. We're not we're, we're bringing new converts into the fold. We're not making new disciples. Uh, so let's let, let's talk about, you know, some of the things that kind of get in the way of us. I'm sure that there are some uh, pastors who are saying, well, everything we do here is fine. We just need to do it better. What's wrong with that kind of thinking? Dennis? That's a great question. And let me just say up front that this is not a condemnation of pastors. It's not a condemnation of churches, denominations, or the size of your church. But we've got to do something different or we're going to keep getting the same thing that we've always gotten. So pastors, please don't hear this as a condemnation or any sort of critique. Think of it, uh, Roger and I having this conversation with you like members of the board of directors. We just want to ask provocative questions. So Roger, if I could start, I'll just give you a quick illustration to set that up. Let's do it. Think about an iceberg. Think about what you can see above the waterline and what you can't see that's below the waterline. And so mm-hmm. as we start this conversation with leaders, we want leadership to realize that all of us are staring at a bunch of symptoms above the surface. We can unpack a couple of those in a minute. Those aren't the causes. If we go after the stuff we see above the waterline on this hypothetical iceberg, all we're doing is sort of like blowing our nose when we have a cold. You might feel better a little bit, but you haven't solved the root cause problem. underneath are the causes. And we talk about six of them in the disciple dilemma that we think leaders and only leaders can attack if we're going to fix a cultural problem, distracting and diluting disciples. Dennis uh, Allen is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. When we take a look at what the dilemma actually is, and then we take a look at the ways that we can, in fact, move forward. Um, it, we would be, well, in, in all honesty, there, there's a there's a certain level of, of uh, but since we're speaking honestly here, I don't know how else to say it. Been part of a very traditional denominational church for half my life, and recently my wife and I moved out of the area, so now we're looking for a new church. And it's strange because to be looking for a new church and saying. Hey, there are certain things we don't have to like, you know, we don't have to put up with because we just always did, right? Either my dad was on staff or, you know, I was on staff and, you know, there are certain things that we just did. Taking a step away from it now, I'm watching a lot of services online and doing a little bit of church shopping, if you will. And I'm beginning to realize that the churches that I'm seeing are really good at doing the traditional stuff. They're not necessary. And, and what, by tradition, I don't mean old tradition. There are a lot of new hip churches that have a lot of quote unquote traditions, too, that if you pointed them out to them, they'd say, oh, no, 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 that's the spirit leading. That isn't, you know, same way we've done it for 25 years. Talk about how the traditions can give us some measure of structure, but they can also kind of trap us. Yeah, traditions are just those really normal, wonderful things that make us feel comfortable. We're in a discipline, we're in a routine, we know how we're going to do something. And whether you're looking at the business world or the Christian community, we like to follow tradition because it's normal. It feels right for us. But Mm -hmm. in this case, we want to talk about some things that centuries ago were foisted on us. I guess this is the ultimate way of saying it's not my fault, right? But the reality is these traditions have given us this sense of how we build and structure churches. When in fact, biblically, Jesus said, I'll take care of building the church. Your job, go make disciples. Mm. I'm talking with Dennis Allen today here on The Bottom Line. The Disciple Dilemma is the book, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You run in the first part of the book, Dennis, uh, the parallels between a business situation and a church application. How many of those kind of run concurrent to each other? Because you mentioned that kind of unholy alliance where the church started doing things, they grew as an organization. So the business world's looking at the church saying, if only we could be like that. 
And then the church starts looking at the business world and saying, well, if we did more of that without realizing that if no one's taking their cues from on high, then everyone's just going to keep replicating all the same bad uh, decisions that others have made too. T- talk about how that works together and why the church really needs to kind of break free from not only bad thinking in the church, but also improper for their purposes thinking um, outside of it. We have a, a really interesting dynamic going on, and let me just back up a few decades right now so we can talk about recent, and then we can look deeper into the history if you want to take the time and look at it. You were talking yeah. a minute ago about a church that was in the Chicago area, and if you look at the history of the pastors of that church, I'm not going to say who it is. If you guys want to read the book, you can read the whole story, but there was a fascinating management guru by the name of Peter Drucker. Anybody that's got an MBA knows Peter Drucker, yeah. the Austrian-born yeah sociologist. Peter Drucker had three disciples, Roger. One of those disciples was um, a guy who ran a church in the Chicago area named Bill Hybels. Another disciple, and these are not shadowy con, you know, uh, connections. This, these guys declare openly that Peter Drucker disciple Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, and Bob Buford with Leadership Network. And his hmm. job was to teach them how to do big market share growth in churches and that was a business model being foisted into the church. Now, I'm not saying, again, size is a problem, but I am saying it has its own set of complications. And that is a tradition of making us big and powerful and sharp and appreciated and popular. And that's not biblical. Hmm. Talk about how we make the switch away from that then, because a guy like Bill Hybels had a lot of sway in the church. I mean, uh, for many, many years, and it was a not uncommon to see a Bill Hybels brand being replicated over and over and over again. Boy, that's true. And uh, let me just say out of the gate that if anybody doesn't like anything I'm saying, you can blame it on Roger because he let me on the show. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So I'll t- take full responsibility. <laughs> the, uh, the path forward out of this is a spotlight shining on leaders. Leaders, and here's how we're going to define leaders. If you're old enough to have a learner's permit and you've been a believer for more than a year, you're in the spotlight. But specifically, if you're in a formal leadership role, you're you're discipling one person, you've got a small group, you're a teacher, you're a minister, you're a pastor, you're on staff, you're a missionary, you're parachurch. If you're in a leadership seat, this is on you. And it's your responsibility to start changing the culture of the church. There, Roger, is our first step, realizing that the DNA, the chemistry, the muscle memory of the society we call a Christian community has to change or we can't stop replicating fragile, brittle disciples. Hmm. And that that fragility, you know, there's a, a certain level of tenderness of course, that we expect to see in the hearts of people, you know, to still be pliable. Uh, my pastor used to say, blessed are the flexible. They don't get bent out of shape too easily. That, that He said that, that that's the 11th commandment or the, the 10th beatitude or whatever. But I, that, there, that, that tenderness, though, I mean, there there is a certain level of almost a thin-skinnedness that says we're not ready for what God has for us. We're not ready for spiritual warfare in the world. We're not ready to handle this. And so we'll just kind of revert back to our old ways. We'll take a quick break here and come back with more of this conversation. That's a fascinating topic. Dennis Allen is my guest. The book is called The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Right after you get into an accident, you need to call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to begin the process of healing. Too many people make the wrong choice and try to handle their case on their own. 
Don't be gullible. Your insurance company does not have your best interests in mind. Their job is to save money, not help you recover. Stephanie's priority is you. She will help you recover wholly, mind, body, and spirit, as well as get you the settlement you deserve. Begin your recovery by contacting Stephanie first and follow her instructions to streamline your healing process. Stephanie has over 25 years of experience and knows how to get you healed and restored. Although your friends and family may have good intentions, they are not personal injury attorneys, and therefore they do not know the best way to help you. Stephanie Cover does, and she will help you put the pieces back together financially, physically, and spiritually. You need to write down her number now, 877-214-4935, or go to kbrightradio.com slash Law. Your healing begins with Cover Law. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad to be with you today as we're talking about discipleship, the disciple dilemma, the school in North Carolina that wound up doing baptisms, and about 100 kids wound up receiving the Lord and coming to faith in Christ and being baptized, and parents were up in arms, and, uh, you know, well, we've already had our kids baptized at our their home church, and, you know, what? why are your pastors doing it? It's just, it's kind of a big mess. Dennis Allen writes about the disciple dilemma and rethinking and reforming how the church does discipleship in a brand new book with that title. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we're giving away a copy of the book right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, the, the whole idea of going to all the world, preaching the gospel and making disciples and then baptizing believers uh, just like this North Carolina school experience, you'll find a lot of kids are being baptized because their other friends were doing it and they wanted to be part of the crowd. Others of them are saying, hey, wait a minute, if you had me splashed and dedicated as an infant, I truly haven't been baptized yet, so this is that moment. But you have to ask the question of ourselves, what are we doing as Christians, especially when it comes to Christian education and churches and having communication? If we're the ones who get up in arms that are kids are being taught certain things that parents don't have a, a hand in, where was the flyer that said, hey, look, we're doing this thing, this, that, and the other thing. We're going to be talking about baptism. There's a possibility. I think maybe even the school got caught flat-footed, not knowing that there could potentially be a making of disciples with their own students. I would expect parents who were just saying their kids there for a good education and didn't want the quote-unquote Christian part to be upset. But the fact that there are Christian parents upset and the administrators don't know quite what to do, I think everybody has to bear some responsibility about what making disciples is all about. Hence the reason for my conversation today with Dennis Allen about his book called The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. Link of the book for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're taking a break in our conversation, but while we have this break, uh, you can call Teresa and get a copy of the book. We've got one to give away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Dennis Allen is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The brand new book is called The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. You mentioned earlier, Dennis, something that I appreciated, you know, having served the pastoral ministry myself, and that is, hey, we're not here to beat up pastors. You know, we're, this is not an indictment of how bad things have been in the pulpit, and if only you guys, you know, this, that, and the other thing. 
But at the same time, though, the pastor does have a certain onus on himself or herself in terms of being the leadership, as do the church council, the elders or deacons, you know, whatever it is. How do we, I mean, it's tough enough, it's been my experience anyway, it's tough enough to get the leadership to look at the issue and say, we have a problem. How do we get to that point where we could say, can we look at this objectively? Can we see what the problem is? And then who's going to lead us out of it? Now, that's a fantastic question and a fantastic way to go about it, Roger, because most of us in churches, in leadership roles, worry about budgets, capital formation, the next program, who's speaking, what's the sermon, and so on. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to deal with discipleship, if Christ really gave us the mission to make, to progress, to develop, to build even our personal self as a disciple and others around us, we've got to go after the things that are in the culture. And most pastors never get any coaching in seminary and certainly rarely in real life, because I don't even see it with leadership in the corporate world. How do we change a culture? There's the crux that we've got to get to. You know, it's interesting when you mention that, because I'll never forget the first time having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine who made that exact comment. We were discussing something about uh, the things that he would preach on. And he said, you know, I kind of get hammered sometimes from people in my congregation because I don't go deep enough in the text. You know, I do Greek, Hebrew, that type of stuff. And he said, I'll be honest with you, I barely got through it in seminary. You know, I don't really, I don't really use it. I said, well, that's fair enough. He goes, you know, as a matter of fact, being a pastor now versus he graduated from seminary in 1992, he said, most of the stuff I learned did not prepare me for the world that we're in right now. Um, Talk about the the, the pastoral dilemma of the pastor who wants to give the impression, you can trust me, you can follow me, I am your leader. And the other one who just, you know, has to have the courage to say, and there are certain things that are kind of beyond my scope right now. We have dumped on pastors the obligation to do everything from preaching to burying the in-laws to showing up at every hospital bed in the world. And we keep saying, if we just work harder, if we had one more program in, we can fix this. Mm -hmm. That's not the solution. It wasn't the solution for me as a CEO. As I turn around businesses, I joke about being a corporate repentance, right? Turning Mm -hmm. around struggling corporations. And it's not the solution in the church. We have to step in and start changing the muscle memory of people so that when we're not around, they're still following the biblical culture Christ gave us. So here's one example. Part of the culture that permeates contemporary Western Christianity is the idea of optional lordship, which is to say, I love getting saved. This whole thing about death to self, taking up the cross, no thanks. Sam Albury would say, um, I really like being a fan of Jesus. This lordship thing, not so much. Mm. Well, how do we move from, I think it was Kyle Eidelman had that uh, that book he wrote about saying, hey, I'm not a fan. I mean, this is, this is an all engagement thing too. We often talk about Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we gloss right over the Lord part, as you mentioned. Um, how do we make both of them appealing? Because quite frankly, at the end of the day, you really can't have one without the other. Right. We set up the problem in the first half of the book. In the second half of the book, we tried to say the following things you're going to make some decisions based on the kinds of people you have, the kinds of um, dynamics that are in your church to decide whether you're going to simply take one or two and start making disciples or whether you feel like you can stand up and say, hey, everybody, we're going in a new direction. There aren't many churches that can say that without causing chaos and war. But most of us, as we look at this problem in a turnaround of a culture, corporately or Christian, 
you have to start with a few people who say we really do have a problem. Do you pastors have a couple of wingmen alongside you who believe you have a problem? And are you willing to take the long journey? It's not a microwave pizza. This is really growing, growing a tree, you know, to walk your culture away from these causes of the disciple dilemma. You know, it's interesting in talking with Dennis Allen today here on The Bottom Line about his book, The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship, because this is not a new problem. It's not a unique problem, necessarily. Everyone's happening, uh, having this issue to deal with. But let's face it. I mean, we have some rather tumultuous times that we're living in right now. Uh, many of them are maybe pandemic-related, especially for smaller congregations that are struggling to hang on. But I think about larger churches, um, uh, Dennis, I think about here in Southern California, with Saddleback Church making a, a huge announcement. Pastor Rick Warren, Pastor Rick's Daily Hope, here, heard on all the bottom line affiliates, announcing that he was stepping aside and making the transition there, and what that would do to leadership of a church that you know is kind of squeaking by with twenty thousand members or so. You know, I mean, it doesn't look like they're in really bad shape, but you know that the key is once somebody starts, you know, making the attendance pledge. They've got that basic discipleship class. So I think they call it, the, they have 101, 201, 301 levels. And a lot of churches don't necessarily do something like that. At the risk of saying, what is your three-step plan for helping uh, pastors and church leaders lead their, their church out of this dilemma and into true discipleship, uh, what are some things that churches can be doing, or perhaps maybe more importantly, some things they should stop doing right now that they've been told, well, if you do this, your church is going to grow? I love the question, and it's sort of like, you know, describe God in two paragraphs, uh, sure. 200 words, and give three examples, you know. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the dynamic that we're looking at is how do we get away from membership equals discipleship and get back into everybody has wingmen, mentors ahead mm -hmm. of them, people following behind them, and friends alongside of them who can look them in the eye and say, hey, love the way you're going, or something's not right, we've got to talk. Yeah. Well, that that's um, I, I, re I remember the the plight of a pastor friend of mine who's now retired um, and battling cancer. But that was his his situation. He inherited one of his first calls as senior pastor was inherited a congregation. He's thirty eight years old. He's got a wife and two kids in elementary school, and he wanders into the first church meeting. There are a hundred members, and everyone's old enough to be his grandparents. And it's like, okay, whatever. And, and basically they're looking at him and saying, grow the church, you know, <laughs> make it, make it happen in a retirement community. I mean, it's not, it's easier said than done. Can you give us some one foot in front of the other first steps, Dennis, as we wrap up our conversation here? Absolutely. If you want to grow your church, stop trying to grow your church. There's step one. <laughs> yeah, I It's love a that. little bit like staring at the trophy on the sidelines when you're trying to play the Super Bowl. If you keep staring at the trophy, you're not going to get this ball down the field. And mm -hmm. in the, the steps that you need to take forward, who will you make as a disciple alongside you if you can only start with one other person and start the journey? And it will not necessarily be popular with a lot of people. We like growth. We like power. How will you bring wingmen alongside you? And then will those wingmen get culture from you that says we're going to go help make disciples too? Not evangelists. That's another conversation later in the book. But disciples. Can you make disciples? If we get that going, we begin that first step of the real way to grow a church. 
And you know, the key here, obviously, Dennis, uh, you and I have been uh, talking about the discipleship dilemma and how we rethink and reform what the church does with regard to discipleship. But at the end of the day, this isn't about growing your church so much as it is honoring the Great Commission, which is go into all the world and basically make disciples. I mean, that's 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 job one. You know, I, I could still see God on Judgment Day looking at many Christians who didn't fulfill it and saying, hey, you had one job, you know, really love me and love other people to the point to where we can love them in the kingdom. Um, Dennis, how ha effective has this program been for the churches that you've worked with and also the organizations that you've worked with as well? I'm deeply encouraged as I look around the world. Of course, this certainly didn't originate with me, but as you look at different people, Francis Chan's been through this experiment, of course, as he's tried to construct, deconstruct the forward progress. There are many churches that are saying, we're going all in on making disciples, as in wingmen beside us, not large programs or seminars. And we see in those churches an almost explosive development as the multiplication takes root versus the pastors in charge of the development of everybody in the congregation. So there's a lot of promise, and we describe a number of those in the book that are very promising and straightforward. We have hope in this biblically. We have no hope in this using a business model. And let, let us uh, let, let the church say amen to understanding the fact that this is where this is all coming from, uh, first and foremost. Dennis Allen, great resource and a great conversation. The book is called The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dennis, thank you for your time today. Great to get to meet you and appreciate the conversation here on The Bottom Line. Roger, thanks. And if folks want to check out more, go to discipledilemma.com and get a look at it. Well, a great conversation about a very important topic, The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship by author and speaker Dennis Allen. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I mentioned before the break, we had one copy of the book to give away. Uh, Tamara just informed me we now have two copies of the book to give away. So you doubled your chances of winning. 800-227-5278. Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Remember the Great Commission. The Great Commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That Great Commandment basically takes the Ten Commandments and puts it all into one little neat package. But then as Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, he left his disciples with, with, with what we call the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every nation, to every tribe and tongue, baptize those who believe in that message in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this uh, uh, school in North Carolina that's kind of feeling the effects of what turned out to be a mass baptism a couple weeks ago during their spiritual emphasis week uh, left parents up in arms. And it kind of put us, I think, puts this discipleship issue in proper perspective. How many parents had kids at that school who had their kids dedicated as infants and said, my kid's baptized. I know a lot of parents in the Lutheran church would tell you that. How many others have said, okay, well, if you're going to do a baptism, I want my pastor to do it. Or grandpa used to be a pastor and he's going to do it or whatever. I, I can't wait to be able to baptize my grandchildren. I really honestly can't. Um, I've had the privilege of baptizing two of my kids, um, but both were sprinkles. They weren't immersions. And you, you know, you get the idea. But when it comes to making disciples, the fact that the school is saying, look, we didn't know this was going to happen, not even making a provision for the possibility would happen. The church that runs a school is saying, hey, there's nothing in our handbook about spontaneous baptisms. The parents are saying, hey, wait, we, we, we didn't. 
there's going to be a new p- chapter in the student handbook there, that's for sure. But when it comes to discipleship, though, are we not uh, kicking aside our call as Christians if we run Christian schools that have nothing in the student handbook about baptism? Where there isn't even a possibility that kids there might have the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, just like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, when the eunuch said, look, here's some water, should I not be baptized? I mean, have we gotten to the point in America, in our church, where we schedule baptisms now? Which Sunday works best for you? Well, the family's flying in for this, that, and the other thing. Hey, today is the day of salvation, brothers and sisters. Why are we acting? What I'm saying here about this school, as Dennis Allen has duly noted, is everybody's got some skin in the game here as to responsibility, as to why these, I don't think it's the parents saying, no one told me and I'm upset. Well, were you prepared for something like this to happen? Were you even thinking that way? I mean, if the hour of the Lord's return is near, I mean, we need to readjust our thought process here in the Western church, get out of the comfort and build churches and go on mission trips and start thinking in terms of today is the day of salvation. And if today's the day of salvation, then the people who are getting saved are going to be baptized in this moment. They're not going to wait until six months from now because that's more convenient for the senior pastor. Or we're, we're going to do it at a special location like at youth camp. Or we're going to do it in, in the summer. Our church does beach worship. And I know that happens on both coasts. Uh, where That's when we do all our baptisms. <laughs> what? You make everybody wait nine months just because you don't only baptize at the beach. It's crazy. And and look at your church roster and ask the question, how many new believers did you baptize this year? Because if that number is less than 10, if you sent more believers home to be with the Lord than you did welcoming into the family, ask yourself the question, Are is our church fellowship truly doing enough to fulfill the Great Commission? Uh, Dennis Allen's book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have two copies to give away of The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. Give Teresa a call right now to get in line for yours. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Newport Bay Mortgage will steer you in the right direction toward the truth about reverse mortgages. Owner Cliff enjoys educating every client and wants to debunk the misconceptions you may have heard. You'll see that an FHA-approved reverse mortgage gives you financial freedom. You can use it to pay bills, cover unexpected expenses, or watch your children and grandchildren enjoy themselves while you're still alive. Cliff informs you of the facts. Drawing from his 40 years of reverse mortgage experience, you must be 62 years or older for the FHA program and at least 55 for a conventional high-volume program. It doesn't affect any credit score points and can even be refinanced after one year. When considering ways to enjoy your liquidity in, before, or for retirement, you need Newport Bay Mortgage. Contact Cliff today. Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse. That's kbrightradio.com slash reverse or 714-741-8080. NMLS 332959. Newport Bay Mortgage, an equal opportunity housing lender. My thanks again to pastor and author Dennis Allen for joining me about this discussion regarding the disciple dilemma and uh, how we uh, <laughs> uh, how we uh, take a look at the uh, issue of discipleship. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line show if you want to get in on the uh, 
the, the, the giveaway that we're doing right now uh, for one of two copies of the book um, written by Dennis Allen called uh, The Disciple Dilemma. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, there's a school in California that is dealing with a crisis that I think could use our help just in terms of prayer. And, you know, for any of our Ventura County listeners, uh, this, this could be some a place where perhaps you could provide a little more than just a uh, prayer cover. Uh, Ventura Unified School District is going head-to-head with the um, Ventura County Christian School with regard to property that Ventura County Christian School rents from Ventura Unified School District. Now, I know a lot of people are looking at... Um, the rental by a Christian organization of a public school uh, facility and saying, we don't like that. We, we, we think that, you know, Christian schools should be able to do their own. I'll be honest with you. If I were part of an organization that were attempting to build a new Christian school and we're looking for the funding, looking for the land, especially in a, uh, an area like Southern California. And I had the chance to either rent a school that was already built and just make it our own or to build one up from scratch, I would choose door number one every single time. There are a lot of reasons. First and foremost, if today is the day of salvation, that's been our theme for this past hour here on the Bottom Line Show. And now is the uh, we want to get the school up and running. The school that's already built is going to be operational a lot sooner than the one that's being built. When uh, Crean Lutheran High School was launched in Southern California, Uh, Our senior pastor at Lutheran Church of the Cross at the time, Bill Bartlett, uh, left Lutheran Church of the Cross to launch Crean. The goal was to have 100 students in grades 9 and 10, or maybe just in grade 9, and start building out. So the following year, you'd have 9 and 10, then 9, 10, 11. So you don't just drop kids into a new school in their senior year and say, oh, by the way, your senior year in high school, you're at a new school with nobody you know. And so they looked at some property, and this was in the mid-2000s, and the property was plenty of space, but it was just really highly priced and they were not in any kind of position to get the property wait a year build on it you know at the uh, um you know the, the the way everything was going and then god spoke to them maybe through a real estate agent i'm not quite sure who there was a greek orthodox church that had felt led by god to launch a school on their campus and so they built out their campus to accommodate uh basically a k-8 school and then Something happened at the church, not quite sure what, but the church wound up having to make the hard decision to not open the school. So you had one organization that had students, had administrators, were ready to go, but didn't have a facility. And you had a facility that literally had nothing but buildings. So it was a match perfectly made. Crean Lutheran High School rented space from... uh, the Orthodox Greek church for a couple of years. And then the real estate market tanked with the great recession and the big plot of land that the Lutheran school was going to try to build their school on wound up coming up at a much more reasonable price. Crean is now in their location and they love it. The Greek school wound up opening their school. Eventually it all worked out nicely. Is the goal of the Christian school to serve the community and do so in a cost-effective way? Well, Venturi County Christian school has been renting space from the Ventura Unified School District for many, many years. They have been working on terms of a new lease to allow the Christian school to continue to rent problem. 
Um, it's interesting because the Ventura County uh, School or Ventura Unified School District is dealing with an issue that a lot of public school districts are dealing with, and that is the fact that they have declining enrollment. School districts go through this all the time. You build a new community, young families move in, so you build a bunch of elementary schools and middle schools to accommodate those students, and then they grow up, they get older, and guess what happens? Mom and dad stay in that house, and (laughs) now you don't have as great a need for elementary school students anymore. So now the school's sitting there going with this big piece of land and all these buildings, what do we do? Well, Ventura Unified School District had the double whammy of not only having some older schools, the buildings are pretty ancient, but then also declining enrollment in other public schools. And so now they're wondering whether or not they're going to hang on to some of these properties. And so enter the dilemma between Ventura Unified School District and Ventura County Christian School. Ventura County Christian School has been renting the Washington Elementary School uh, for many, many years. Uh, What happened now is the fact that three days before the start of the school year, Ventura County Christian Schools received notification from Ventura Unified School District that basically the lease was being terminated on their agreement because they believe that the, uh, well, there was a seismic evaluation report that was done on the building and found that it poses, quote, significant risk of harm in the event of natural disaster or earthquake. The district statement said, quote, we cannot and will not compromise the safety of students, families, community members, or staff members, whether they are in a building or property owned by the district, leased by the district to another entity. Now, what's interesting is um, they had a safety analysis performed once before, and once that was done, Ventura County Unified School District, or Ventura Unified School District, had issued a two-year contract for Ventura County Christian Schools to lease the Washington Elementary School District from Ventura Unified School District. But then, once the district sent over the new lease agreement for the VCCS signature, the school's officials, quote, saw a sentence in that lease that could be interpreted as preventing VCCS from hiring Christian-only teachers or preventing the teaching of Christian-based curriculum. Although the school was initially, quote-unquote, confused by that specific sentence in the agreement, VCCS believed it was a misunderstanding, and they requested that the school district remove the sentence from the lease. All of the other terms of the lease agreement were agreed upon by VCCS and VUSD. But then days later, VUSD informed Ventura County Christian Schools that the Washington Elementary School site actually was in fact unsafe and as a result therefore you can't uh, you know inhabit this now you know I have to ask the question why what are they looking at um, you know it's 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 crazy because private schools don't have the same mandatory attendance rate as public schools do But is Ventura County School District looking to possibly just offload this campus? Well, they say the age of the campus is the reason why they issued the edict. Um, The numbers, though, might tell a different story with regards to declining enrollment. We'll take a look at both of those numbers on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. 
Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls for Dennis Allen's book about the disciple dilemma, 800-227-5278. Got a couple of copies of that book to give away, and Teresa is taking your calls. Right now, it's a God and Country segment where we're taking a look at the case of Ventura County Christian School that heretofore had been granted a two-year lease to rent the old Washington Elementary School in Ventura Unified School District. But interestingly enough, it looked like the school district was trying to save face a little bit. They say it's a safety issue. Washington Elementary School is over 100 years old. It hasn't been properly retrofitted. Yakety schmackety, blah, blah, blah. That's why for the safety of the students at all, they don't want the Christian school to be leasing this space. Now, if it were just a safety issue, I'd say good for them. Thank you for being thoughtful and considerate. But when you consider that the original lease that was sent over included a sentence that said VCCS would be prohibited from hiring teachers who were only Christians. Their, their staff had to be welcoming and inclusive that there would be restrictions where the district would have to approve the curriculum that the school is teaching, even though they'd actually been teaching it there for quite some time. The district got a note back from the lawyers for VCCS saying, hey, this all looks good except for that sentence. Just go ahead and take it out and we'll sign it. Instead, what they got was a note back from the attorneys for Ventura County Christian School saying, well, you know, um, uh, the, the building's not safe. So all of a sudden, VCCS comes up on the first day of school and they don't have any place to meet. 200 kids looking for a new home. That's tough for any private school to absorb that many students. So public schooling becomes an option um, and private schooling, homeschooling becomes an option too. Now, what about that public school optioning, you ask? Well, Ventura County enrollment has dropped from 135,000 to 131,000 over the last school year. Is it possible that maybe Ventura Unified School District wanted these kids to get re-enrolled into the district? Conceivably. But this is a case where the legal battle will follow, and I think it's one that the Christian schools should follow as well. Yes, Christian schools should be renting facilities from public school facilities. And yes, we should be standing up for our rights when they're being squeezed out like these kids are uh, by this bullying tactic from Ventura Unified School District. We'll put a link for this article up at thebottomlineshow.com and uh, I encourage you to take a look at it and pray for everyone involved in the Ventura County Christian Schools ordeal. For our KCBC audience, this concludes our broadcast day today, but Bottom Line Show Extra is coming up at 7. Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, is coming up around the corner. Uh, for those who remain on the network, it's this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, NCR on TBL, coming up next as the Bottom Line continues. <laughs> 